Amen. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Every time we have a baptism service to actually witness eyewitnesses, that's what we are, eyewitnesses of the power of the gospel, that it actually changes people from the inside out. So that's so encouraging. And I love these uh, Sundays. So today uh, we're jumping into our mini series, right? Because it's already over. We, you say, well, you just started last week. Yes, that's why we're calling it a mini series, right? So um, we're called ad- it's, it's advocates and we're going through the book of Philemon. But let me ask you this question. So here's the question for you. Have you ever had that person that you were trying to avoid and everywhere you went, it seemed like they were there. Like you went to the grocery store and you've never seen them in that grocery store, right? But they're, you just don't see them like far away down the aisle. They're like right in front of you at checkout. So you have to say something to them. Otherwise, they're going to know that you're trying to avoid them, right? So and then, um, you know, a week or two goes by and you're at a stoplight in, this, in, the, in the city that you always drive in, right? And you're at the stoplight. You look over and guess who's right there, right? And what makes it worse is that they looked at you at the same time they uh, you looked at them. So you have to wave and acknowledge that they're there, right? The person that you're trying to avoid. And then it's like they're there even though they're not there because remember when you went out to eat, you're engaged in this conversation with the server, right? And then all of a sudden, he's like, oh my gosh, I think we have a mutual acquaintance. And then they name the person even though they're not there, but he knows this person that you're trying to avoid. So it's just like, oh my gosh, I can't get away from him. Has that ever happened to you with God? Have you ever felt like you were trying to avoid God or even running from him, but you couldn't shake him? It was like everywhere you go, there he is. Remember last week we started out with like, don't give up. Like God sees you. Right? We said that last week. We, were ta- we talked about how God sees you. He sees right where you are. Well, not only does he see right where you are, but he pursues you. He seeks after you. He's chasing after you. Why? Because he, God's desire is that you would be in relationship with him. And, you know, the psalmist writes this. The psalmist writes um, this, he poses this question in Psalms 139, verse number 7. Where can I go to escape your spirit, God? He says, where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's the, the, the place of the dead, you're there. He says, if I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. He's saying, I can't shake you, God. There's no place I can't go where you don't show up chasing after me. And this is what we see today in Philemon. So take your Bibles, go to Philemon. We're going to be looking at verse number 8. Remember last week, last week we said that this is personal. A personal letter from the Apostle Paul to Philemon. And, and And this is personal to him because it's about Onesimus. And Onesimus was on the run. He was fleeing from Philemon. You see, Onesimus was a slave to Philemon who robbed him 
and then ran away. Now, I just want to pause for just a moment because I feel like I just need to say this. This text has nothing to do with slavery. But there are some people who struggle to understand the Bible and when they read it, they're questioning why does it like why doesn't it seem like, you know, God just outright condones or I mean uh, condemns slavery. So, let me like look at you like right in the eyes, right? And tell you that God does not condone slavery. From the very beginning, in Genesis 1, he makes it clear that every human being was made in the image of God. And then there was this principle that was there that all human life has value, the same value. It was man's evilness. It was our depravity. It was our sinfulness. That thought that one uh, person was more important than another, that added more value to one people uh, group than another people group, that was our sinfulness, our brokenness. That's what sin did. Not God. Even God's people, the Jewish people, were held in slavery for over 400 years under the Egyptians. And Jesus rescued them. And he's been trying to set us free from that sin of pride. And that's what these baptisms, that's what, um, when you get baptized, it's the picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ setting us free from sin. And he wants to set us free from us valuing one people group over another. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way in, in uh, Galatians chapter 3. He says, for those of you who were baptized into Christ, you've been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek. Like there's not one people group that has a more value to God than another people group. That's what he's saying. He's saying there's not slave or free. Um, there's not male or female. He says, since you are all one in Christ, that we're all united in Christ. Christ unites us. So let's be clear that this was written to real people. That's what that's what we love about the Bible. It's written to real people in real time. And in their culture, there were people who had slaves, and if they were following Jesus, what Jesus did, and remember Jesus' words, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, listen, don't you be like the masters, of the, like the Gentiles, and lord your authority over them. He said, instead, you come and you show up and you serve. And then in Mark 10, 45, he says, for even the Son of Man, Jesus is speaking this, he says, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. So, please don't think that the Bible somehow condones slavery. In fact, here's, what, here's how I want to wrap this little piece up. Even though our text isn't taught, you know, this isn't what it's about. I want, I want you to introduce you to Alexander McLaren, <clears throat> a scholar um, 
of the time of Charles Spurgeon, an old-time Scottish pastor who knew the Hebrew and Greek, which is the original language of the Scriptures, so well that he always, like, he was writing this stuff out. Every sermon he did, it was just like craziness. So, um, listen to what, um, he says, Jesus and the apostles did not outright condemn slavery. They didn't need to. The effect of the gospel is that lives are changed one by one, and those changed lives in turn bring transformation to entire families, clans and cultures. Christianity was never designed to be a political movement, but over time it naturally affected political policy. And then uh, Alexander uh, McLaren writes, he writes that the gospel meddles directly with no political or social arrangements, but lays down principles which will profoundly affect these and leaves them to soak into the general mind. In nations where Christianity spread and took a firm hold, slavery was brought to an end through the efforts of Christ-following individuals. Because that's the power of the gospel. And that's what we're talking about in this text. And Paul is advocating for Onesimus, a runaway slave, if you will, a runaway slave to Philemon, but he's advocating for Onesimus based on the transforming power of the gospel that he, that Paul had experienced. Paul had this change. Because remember at one time, Paul thought that if you didn't believe like the Jewish people believed, then you, and if you followed the way of Jesus, then we'll put you in jail or wipe you out. And then he had an experience, he had an encounter with Jesus. And that transformed his life. And then he's lived his life in a total 180. Because that's the power of the gospel. And Philemon had the same experience. Remember last week, we talked about how Philemon, this man who had wealth, this man who had power, this man who used um, at one time his wealth in a negative way, was now using it for the sake of the kingdom of God to bring more Christ followers to follow Jesus. And that's why verse number 8 says this, for this reason, for the reason of the, of the transforming power of the gospel, it's for this reason, he says, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, Philemon, but I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. And the love there is referring back to the transformation that happened in their life when he understood the gospel, the love that God had for him. That's the love that changed everything in Paul's life. The gospel love changed everything in the life of Philemon. And now he says, I, Paul, as an elderly man, now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Hold it. What? Yeah, that's what he says. He says, I became his father while I was in chains. Now think about this. Onesimus was with Philemon, who's in Turkey, in a, in a city called Colossae. Paul's in Rome, 1,200 miles away. Onesimus goes on the run and thinks, I'm just going to run from Philemon. I'm going to run from God. No one's ever going to know. Um, historians say there were millions of slaves at the time of the writing of this letter. Millions of slaves in the city of Rome. And, and Onesimus thinks he can just kind of hide there among all these other slaves. 
and God finds him. And I mean, just think about this. At just the right time, God finds him. He brings him across the path of Paul, who is under house arrest, which means he's in chains. He's under arrest himself for teaching the gospel. And he's continuing to teach the gospel. He crossed paths. Somehow God brings Onesimus 1,200 miles. Gets introduced to Paul somehow. We don't know how. But in that introduction and in that getting to know Paul, Paul shares the gospel with him because now Paul is saying, hey, Onesimus is like my son. Onesimus, I became his father while I was arrested, while I was under house arrest, while I was in change myself. I became his spiritual father. You see, you can't run. You, you can run, I'm sorry. You can run, but you can't hide. You can run, but you can't hide from the power of God's love. Unless you think that, oh, that was only in the Bible times. So, I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, his name is Chuck Swindoll. He's a pastor. Um, and at the time he was pastoring in California, he shares, this is an old story. It's from the 80s, I know. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, the 80s. I wasn't even born in the 80s. Okay, well, some of us were, okay? So, in the 80s, um, Chuck Swindoll shares this story of when he was pastoring in California. And uh, he had a, um, uh, a radio broadcast that went throughout um, the nation at that time. It wasn't as big as maybe it was later. But um, there he is. Um, he's broadcasting his teachings from Sunday through the radio. Well, there was this uh, Christ-following family who had crossed paths with a college-age student who had a very uh, you know, hard and troubled past. Well, they received him. And they help him and introduce him to Jesus. And this kid gives his life to Jesus. And this kid, now in in his college age years, he falls back into some of his old, old patterns. And he steals a car. And he makes a run for it. From California to, the, uh, to heading north, to going to Canada. He's on the run. On the way, he stops at a hotel. And he's taking his shower and he's got his radio music, you know, some journey going on or Toto, you know, something like that. But he's got a cassette player and he's recording the radio station of his you know, journey that's going. Remember when you used to do that, right? You a cassette? You're like, well, hold on, I just lost half of you, right? A cassette? I, I, I don't have time to get into it. Um, but, a, but he's recording from, onto this cassette from the radio, and unbeknownst to him, the frequency from which the cassette was picking up changed. And it picked up Chuck Swindoll's message. He didn't know this. So now he's in his car heading north to Canada. And all of a sudden, don't stop believing, stops playing. And on comes a man's voice. And the man's voice was Chuck Swindoll teaching on Onesimus. And Chuck Swindoll says, are you on the run from God? And this brought so much conviction to this college kid. 
that he is like, that was a, that's a message from God and he makes a U-turn and he comes back and tries to find out and to make a long story uh, short, he gets got connected to the very church of Chuck Swindoll. They help him get back on the right path. He goes back, makes restitution and he starts following Jesus. You see, that is the power of the gospel. And the question is, are you trying to hide from God? Are you on the run from God? It's so much easier when we just submit and surrender. Will you do that today? Now, back in the text, in verse number 12, he says, Paul says, I'm sending him, Onesimus, back to you. I am sending my very own heart. Notice how close they... Paul had gotten so close to Onesimus over this time that they were together. Paul was pouring his life into Onesimus. He says, I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. So that your good deed might not be out of obligation but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why Onesimus was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. Do you see that? You see what the power of the gospel does in a person's life? Oh, it can do this in your life. And Paul's like, no, don't look at him as a slave. No, he is your brother in Christ. And this was the cry of the heart of the Christians in that era. And that you treat all people with respect and dignity and value because they have the very image of God in them. The Imago Dei. He is especially so to me. Like he's loved. Like Paul's like, this is how much I love Onesimus. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would me. He's wanting him. You need to welcome him back. There needs to be grace and mercy. And not only that, he says, and if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. You see, when you start advocating for people, it's going to cost you. First, you have to see the need, but it's going to cost you personally. Here it's costing him this relationship and the closeness that he has. And now he's like going to send him back to Philemon. And then he's like, hey, and whatever he stole from you, I'll pay for it. See, that's sacrifice. You see, advocating for others means seeing the need, sacrificing for the need, and serving the need. Actually getting your hands dirty and getting in there. And it's going to be messy. It's not always going to come out the way that you had hoped it would. And you may not always have a story like Chuck Swindoll has to share. But it is still the right thing to do. And this is what God calls us to do. But what happened? What happened to Onesimus as a result of Paul advocating for him? Can you imagine when Paul and Onesimus are having that conversation? And Paul is like, oh, you're from Turkey. What part of Turkey? I've been to Turkey. And then 
Onesimus is like, oh, I'm from a town you probably haven't heard of, Colossae. Oh, no, I've heard of Colossae. I know right. I know people in Colossae. Do you know Philemon? And can you imagine what Onesimus must have felt? It's like that Rhode Island moment, right? And Paul's like, pours his life into him, helps him to grow spiritually. But then it's like, you've got to go make this right. So he sends him back. And he does go back. And he makes it right. And Philemon welcomes Onesimus back, just the way that he, uh, Paul had hoped he would. And not only that, Philemon must have poured his life into Onesimus. You say, why do you say that? Because there is a letter from the early church father, Ignatius, who was discipled by uh, the Apostle John. Ignatius was on his way to be martyred himself. And he's writing a letter to the leaders of churches. He writes like seven letters. And one of them, he writes to a leader, or what he calls a bishop, a bishop over the churches in Ephesus. And listen to this letter that we have. Now, this isn't scripture, but this is historically documented. The letter reads from Ignatius. He says, I received, therefore, your whole multitude in the name of God through Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love and your bishop in the flesh whom I pray you by Jesus Christ to love and that you would all seek to be like him. And blessed be he who has granted unto you being worthy to obtain such an excellent bishop. That is what happened to Onesimus. Onesimus goes from runaway, or runaway to Christ follower He goes from Christ follower to leader. And then he goes from Christ follower leader to like pastor, bishop or elder over this whole church in Ephesus. I mean, isn't that crazy? This is what God does. So what we have to do is we have to ask the question, what uh, might advocating might look like in your life? Well, it could be this. It could be about wraparound teams for families that are impacted by foster care. Like today at 1130, Jonathan Reed is going to be back here. And anyone who is interested in understanding more about how they could advocate for the foster uh, families that are impacted by foster care, we invite you to go to that meeting. It's going to be um, upstairs in 202. At 11.30. So go grab some breakfast. Come back at 11.30, right? If you're, right? Um, it, it, maybe God wants to use you in this way. Maybe there's another way. Families, well, that you could advocate for families with children who have special needs. Some of those uh, children need buddies during our class time, during our children's ministry time. They just need some one-on-one where you're just there to help encourage and coach. Or maybe you just get to know a family and you ask them, hey, how could I advocate for you how could i serve you maybe it's about bringing them a meal to give them a night off from cooking or maybe it's about giving them a night so mom and dad can actually go out and you stay and watch the kids i don't know but this is these are just practical ways that we advocate maybe you have some kind of life experience that you have been through 
And because of that life experience, you have developed an awareness to what it's like to be a single mom with young children. And now you could advocate for them. Maybe you've been through some kind of experience. Maybe you had some addiction issue in your life that had you in change, but Jesus has set you free. And it's being aware that you could come along somebody else that has found themselves in this place. You can help them to understand what it's like to live in freedom. There are so many ways that you can advocate because of an experience that you have had. These are questions you need to ask in your own heart. Maybe it's something that you've just developed a passion for. Man, go back and research it some more. Understand understand that every time that topic gets talked about, your heart starts beating faster. And that, that means there's something there. So you need to ask God, God, why? Why do I seem to get all jacked about this topic? Maybe God's trying to use you so that you can become an advocate for that area. And you know, around here, we offer uh, short-term missions trips to give people an experience to help their eyes to be open, to come in contact with people who live differently, who who speak different languages than you do, who come from a whole different culture than you do. So maybe you need to go on a short-term mission trip. And in just a a couple of minutes, we're going to hear from a couple of of people who have been and hear how God had turned their heart because of a trip that they had took. But first, here's what I want us to do. I want us to walk us through some next steps, right? um, So if you're online, there's a link for you uh, to click on for the next steps. It's called the connection card. If you're right here in person, the connection card is right in front of you, in the chair in front of you. And the very first one says this. Pray I will understand the way God is calling me to advocate and that I'll do the sacrificial work that it takes to advocate for others. Because remember, it takes the, it takes the ability to even see the need. Sometimes the need is right in your own office. The need could be with people that you're going to school with. The need could be right there in your neighborhood. But you just haven't seen it because you haven't prayed in this way. God, show me. Give me the eyes to see. So that's what this is about. Circle step number one on your connection card. Put your name. Let us pray for you. You're going to take these connection cards. You're going to put them in the offering boxes um, if you're here in the room on your way out. The other next step says this. This step says, I want to experience what Onesimus experienced. Because maybe you're on the run from God. Maybe you know that God is chasing you down. But finally today, you're just going to be like, I surrender. So you're, you, um, I want to experience what Onesimus experienced going from running to surrender. To serving a God who has been advocating for my very soul. Today, I surrender that God actually, you know, Jesus, he wants to bring whole healing to your soul. You know there's something missing. What a great picture of the gospel in Philemon. Here you have a man who has wealth, power, and position, and here you have a runaway slave in Onesimus. But both of them had the, name, the same need. They needed to, be, to have their souls healed. And you need that too. Has your soul been healed? Well, this step is for you to receive the salvation, the healing that God has for you. Let us pray for you. Will you do that? So this is step number two. Circle step number two. Put your name on there and drop that into the offering box. The last one is the same from last week. 
All right, because we need to get in the habit of doing this. I hope that you did this. Here's what it says. I want to intentionally add value and encourage um, to people's lives. I'm going to reach out to at least five people with either a text, a note, or a gift, letting them know that they're seen and they're loved. You know, I heard one story this week where a guy was in, uh, in, in the city and he's driving and he saw somebody in need. Somebody was struggling in a wheelchair on the side. And he stops, he pulls over, and he gets out. And he's like, hey, can I help you? And he helped him get settled. And then he says, hey, can I pray for you? And he got to pray for this man in this wheelchair. That's what I'm talking about. And don't you think that that man on this, can't believe that somebody who was driving by saw him? What an encouragement. This is the way that God calls us. To live our lives. So let's do this again. So Jesus, we ask you, we invite you, will you come and help us to live like this, please? We want to be a church that advocates for others. God, if there's somebody that's on the run, whether they're watching online or they're right here, God, I pray that you would bring so much conviction of your love for them that they couldn't help but surrender their entire life and that you would bring healing to their soul. Please. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.